In 2016, the BBC broadcast a documentary called The Age of Loneliness. And the blurb said this, Lonely, it could be you. It could be me. There are millions of us out there. The headlines call this the age of loneliness. They say it's a major public health issue, a silent epidemic that's starting to kill us, but we don't want to talk about it. No one really wants to admit they are lonely. Award-winning filmmaker Sue Bourne believes loneliness has to be talked about. It affects so many of us in so many ways and so many different stages of our lives. See, this is nothing new, is it? Within popular culture, we've been expressing our feeling of loneliness for a long time. The Beatles sang about it when they sang All the Lonely People. I thought, before listening to it, I thought it said All the Lovely People. <laughs> That's my naive mind. Uh, but when I listen to it, it's quite a dark, you know, depressing song where it says, where it says Eleanor Rigby, who died in the church and was buried along with her name, nobody came. Father Mackenzie wiping the dirt from his hands as he walks from the grave, no one was saved, with the chorus asking, where do all the lonely people belong? The most popular TV programs from my generation uh, was Cheers, where everyone knows your name, or Friends with the tagline, who can tell me it? I'll be there for you. We also have the recent army adverts with the slogan which states, this is belonging. This has been in our culture for so long, this cry out, I suppose, in terms of for loneliness. We can't get away from the fact that there is something in all of us that longs to connect to people. It's born within us. It's, it, we are born with that. We can't get away from it. We want authentic relationships with people who genuinely care about us. Where we can laugh and cry together. Where we can go through hard times, we can go through good times together. Where everyone knows our name. Where people genuinely will be there for us. Whatever the circumstances. We all long for this, but we struggle to find it. This comes at a time where you could argue that we are the most connected we have ever been. You've heard this said before, but in terms of with, with social media, how many friends that we have on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat, but actually it's having an adverse effect on people and it actually has a, it makes people feel a certain way. And it's, you know, I think in years, in goodness knows how many years' time, people look upon this time in terms of our culture and the effect social media has had, good or bad, and they'll be able to study and really see how it made people feel. This, so, to, just to be honest now, this was me in August, right? We didn't go away on holiday, all right? Uh, well, we, we, you know, went to places in, um, in this country, I suppose. And this, was, this is how I felt when, uh, uh, when I was looking at it. You know what I mean? Everyone is posting their holiday pics, and I'm like, I went to Asda. That was me in August. That's just, a, that's just I know it's a joke, but that's just an idea, I suppose, of how social media makes you feel. And when you say, I'm having a break from social media, people say, oh, that's interesting. How does it make you feel? Like it's just a, a given that it's, it, it will affect you. So what's the answer to this? 
Because communities in and of themselves are not the answer. There's something much deeper going on. In fact, there's something spiritual going on which needs to be addressed if we're actually going to really tackle this issue. So just to recap in terms of Acts, um, we're going through the book and, you know, it's entitled The Story of Us and this has massive implications for us because what we're saying is we've got to, for us to know where we're going, we've got to know where we've been. Um, and one of the key chapters is in, verse, is in chapter 1, verse 8. And that's kind of the mission statement, I would say, for Acts. And that's how it, and it, and it kind of, you know, it's, Jesus says these words and then it kind of ripples throughout all of Acts. All right? And this is the verse. And Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Right? Acts, it's called, like what uh, Ash said last week, it's called uh, Acts of the Apostles, but it could very well be called Acts of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit has um, just produced in people um, this thirst for the gospel, and the gospel just spreads and spreads and spreads out. We, could eat, we were talking about this this morning in Life Group. You could probably check, trace this church back to that very act. This church was planted from Pontifact Evangelical Church. That church was planted by someone else. Then they, where they've come from would have been planted from someone else. And you could go back and back and back and back into the history where you can get to this point. We are the ends of the earth. This is our story. Yeah? So we're here today because the Holy Spirit worked in a number of people, a small number of people, where the gospel spread. We cannot emphasize and state how important it is for us to have the Holy Spirit within us, for us to rely on the Holy Spirit, for, us, for the Holy Spirit to work within us. We can't overstate that. And what we've gone through in the last couple of weeks is without the Holy Spirit, we are just a bunch of people chasing after the wind. We need the Holy Spirit to be guiding us. That's what we, that's what we really thirst after. That's what we want for God to be moving us by his spirit. So, that, so today, we're going to look at the characteristics of a community that has been shaped by the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit impacts a group of people, what should that people look like? What should be their distinctives? What should drive them? What should they care about? What are their priorities? These questions are massive for us. Now, when we look at this text, and I'm going to be really honest with you, when you look at this text, I look at this and I look and say, how they gave away the possessions, they met every day, they had meals together, they were with each other, they loved each other continually. And I say, how can that even be possible? This was 3,000 people who spoke different languages, and they all came together like that. How can that be possible? It's so countercultural. It looks too good to be true, doesn't it? Let's be honest with ourselves. That level of love, compassion, sharing, and serving, it's, it's absolutely mind-blowing. And then I think, well, that was then, this is now. 
We live in a completely different day and age. We've got massive work commitments and families and, and all the rest. And it's, how can that be possible? And then I'm challenged by Paul in Romans, who knocks me off my tracks and then puts me straight. And he says this in Romans 8, you, who are, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though through your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And this is the verse. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who, raised Jesus, who, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of spirit of lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh, to live according to it. We know the saying, don't we? The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is working within us. And that's not just individually, that's collectively as well. Collectively. The same spirit that brought that ragtag group of people together, that 3,000 people together, is the same spirit that's at work with us, in us. It's not a different Holy Spirit. He's exactly the same. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He is consistent. And that same Holy Spirit is with us today. Do we believe that? Do we believe that Holy Spirit can actually change us today? Do we believe that same Holy Spirit can, can form a group of people that genuinely love each other, that genuinely care for each other, that genuinely want to reach out in, into this world? Do we believe that? Because it is the same. That same Spirit empowered that community and produced something extraordinary, mind-blowingly extraordinary. They were nothing special. You don't need to read far into Acts to know that they had their issues. The leaders had issues, yeah. They were not per a perfect group of people who were all holding hands and everything was fine. Yeah, they worked through issues. But the same Holy Spirit that worked in them is at work in us. And that gives me hope. That gives me hope for us that we can be a community that is transformed by the Holy Spirit. So, with that in mind, I want to just quickly, again, just read that passage and have a think. I'm just going to start from um, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were, were together and had, and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. There's so much we could say within this passage, but I want to bring out three things that I think would really help us. And these are the characteristics I think you can pull out and could put into any culture, any group of people that the, the same characteristics that you have when the Holy Spirit was, is, is working within you. And these are them. That you are hungry for God's word, that you, are, that you selflessly share, and you are dedicated to mission. 
Okay. So first of all, hungry for God's word. The reason I included verse 40 and 41, as we read previously, was when Peter says, save yourselves from this corrupt generation, was to show the kind of the flow of events. And we know kind of what's happened. Peter uh, preached that sermon. Um, 3,000 people were saved, okay? And after 3,000 people, those people were saved from all different types of walks of life, not all the same. After that, then we get into the verse that we're specifically looking at. Now, can you imagine that? 3,000 people getting saved and then 12 apostles. So that's 250 people to one person, constantly teaching them, encouraging them. It's amazing to think. I'm sure you've heard some Christians saying that they're starved for the word of God, that they really want to hear the word of God. When you become a Christian, that's what happens. You're hungry for the word of God. And that's what they were. That's what we can see uh, at the start. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. It's, when, it's what Peter says when he says in 1 Peter chapter 2, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, not that you have tasted, now that you have tasted that the Lord is, is good. In other words, in other chapters it says about, um, you know, from solid, from uh, milk it goes to solid food, that the teaching gets deeper and richer. Just to illustrate this, I was thinking about this. I love all-you-can-eat buffets. I love taking my children to all-you-can-eat buffets because you go and they say, can I get anything I want? And I say, yeah, because I've paid a lot of money for this, so you need to go and fill yourself, right? And they think it's like Christmas come early, right? And I do as well, to be fair. So you eat and you eat and, you, you know, so you're so full and you're like, oh, that looks lovely, but I can't eat any more of that. And you're just there and you go home. And then the next day, my kids say, I'm hungry. I want more food. And I'm thinking, I'm quite hungry. I want more food, actually. It doesn't matter how full you get. You want more. Because that's the human body. And that's what it's like when you're a Christian. When you are under God's word, you want to hear God's word. You want to be um, changed by God's word. You want to actually um, get good teaching. There was a, within this community, there was a persistent submission to the Christ-centered scriptures. Do we listen to the Bible and submit to it? How high, highly do we regard the Bible? Are we hungry for God's word? Are we bothered? Are we even bothered about listening to it? Do we want to hear what God has to say within his Bible, within his word? I find it really interesting that one of the first characteristics that we've got from a group of people that have been transformed by the Holy Spirit is actually to be devoted to the Word of God. It could be many other things, but to be devoted to the Word of God is one of the characteristics, one of the first characteristics that we see from a, uh, from a community that's been affected by the Holy Spirit. See, if a church isn't devoted to the Word and isn't being shaped by the Holy Spirit, then something else will just fill that void. And we've got to be really careful of that. Popular opinion, our friend's opinion, our opinion, can sometimes overtake what actually the Word of God is saying. And we've always got to question ourselves when we read in the Bible and we think, actually, 
I think this is what is right. I think I, I don't agree with that. We've got to question ourselves, haven't we? It's good to, to read through things and, and question, but if something we read in the Bible and there's something that's, and then we contradict that with our opinion, who's right? Who is right? Our opinion and other people's opinion in 1,000 years will not matter. That might sound harsh, but if you listen in terms of the context of what we're saying, our opinion, really? What does God have to say about these things? Let me just give you an example. When we're in the men's night, we were talking about Dan Brown and the Da Vinci Code. You'll all remember it. The impact that it had. People were, when you spoke to uh, your friends about it, and ah, the Da Vinci Code, you know, disproved it. Everything. You remember, there was like, you know, people saying, that's, it's the end of church. Church is finished. You know, Da Vinci Code is out. That's it. Done. And then they were laughing about it because there's the comedians now kind of taking the mick out of, because I said I, I was reading a Dan Brown book. And they were laughing, saying, well, you know, people think he's quite irrelevant now and, and simplistic. And there was, there was someone who, there was a comedian talking about that. And it just made me think, in terms of culture now, how quick things pass. But the Bible remains the same. There's still churches that are being planted. There's still people becoming Christians. I was talking to my sister who's currently in Sweden at a Bible school. And her mind has been blown by what she's seen in terms of the gospel and the outreach of the gospel and people's lives being changed. She's doing, she was doing a refugee Bible school where people were, gen, were just changed by the gospel, where the Bible was open and people were changed. And that will not change. The Bible will not go away. Sometimes, I, you know, I myself, I'm in my own little bubble and I think this is Christianity. But there's a whole world out there where the gospel is having amazing impact, mind-blowing impact. And I said to her, you're in a privileged position to be able to see that because sometimes we forget, we forget. Isaiah 40 says, all people are like grass and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fail because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of God endures forever. I pray that as we move forward, we are known as a people who are constantly learning and growing through the word of God. Secondly, a community that is being shaped by the Holy Spirit selflessly shares. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with all the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together. When we look at the word fellowship, we can say, and we can sometimes have it in our minds, that fellowship is having a cup of tea with each other, or having a drink, or having a chat and getting to know someone. And I'm not, I'm not discounting that. But I think within the Bible, fellowship has a much deeper meaning. The Bible uses the word um, konia, which was originally a business term. Um, and it was first found in a legal contract language 
in re reference to a business arrangement. Uh, it, it was used to convey the word of partnership. It was a partnership. So this phrase means to partner with someone and is to share with someone in something. It's to actually share in something. So it's not just a case of getting to know them. It's to actually share with them emotionally, spiritually, financially, for it to be time-consuming, for you to actually partner with something. That was what fellowship meant. To put it differently, Christians share in something and they also share out to something as well. So we share in something, share out to something. Let me just give you a few examples. Because of the gospel, Christians share in fellowship with the Father and His Son. First 1 John chapter 1, verse 3. And we also share in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 14. Fellowship is our normal life with the living God. But this, in return, demands a sharing out. It's not just one way. You see, it's not just a case of we receive, 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 and never give out. It's sharing in and sharing out as well. The same word of fellowship in Acts 2 is found in a number of verses. So um, let me just give you a few examples. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe trial. Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in, in this service to the Lord's people. Sharing in this service to the Lord's people, partnering with someone. 2 Corinthians 9. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourself, yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. See, can you see the difference between fellowship being not just a case of getting to know someone a little bit better, which it's part of that, but it means so much more. Sharing is actually being in partnership with someone, investing in someone, sharing out into someone's life. It's really important that we grasp this because this is sharing and partnership was quite clearly happening within this community. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Some people have referred to this as early communism, which isn't the case, um, as the people voluntarily gave, they voluntarily gave to anyone who has a need. And it wasn't something which was a continual thing. It was the people, if a need arose, then they would give to that. If someone in their church family was going through something, they gave to them. It was to anyone who had need. Wouldn't it be amazing for us as people to say, anyone who has need, we will give to that. We will give to them. That's what happened. That's fellowship. The gospel was overflowing and they gave as the need arose. They shared together they shared each other's burdens, they shared their wealth, and they were willing to sacrifice. 
and they used their homes, which was their biggest financial asset. Same as us. I've heard it said that to have fellowship, you need to be an, a, an enthusiastic giver, not just a ravenous receiver. Fellowship is a covenantal experience. What would this look like? And I was thinking about this, and I was looking at the one another's in the Bible. There's 59 one another's. Love one another. Encourage one another. And someone has um, kind of summarized all of them. I thought it was, it'd be helpful to look at in terms of the context of what we're speaking about. So David Platt, a pastor, said this. According to Scripture, the church is a community of Christians who care for one another, love one another, host one another, receive one another, honor one another, serve one another, instruct one another, forgive one another, motivate one another, build peace with one another, encourage one another, comfort one another, pray for one another, confess sin to one another, esteem one another, edify one another, teach one another, show kindness to one another, give to one another, rejoice with one another, weep with one another, hurt with one another, and restore one another. All of these one another's combined together paint a picture not of people who come to a building filled with customized programs, but of people who have decided to lay, lay down their lives to love one another. Wow. What would our community look like if the Holy Spirit impacted us in that way? What would it look like? How would it feel? Paul, our, our pastor, gives an example when he's talking about pastoral care and he says this. When someone is in a pit and you come alongside them, you need to get into that pit with them. You need to spend time with them. You need to get in that pit with them. But the aim isn't just to stay in that pit. The aim is to point that person to Jesus. And for you both to get out together. It could be lonely when you're in that pit on your own. It could be lonely when you feel you're completely on your own. But this is the amazing thing. Because when you become a Christian, you are not an individual. You are born into a people. You are born into a community. You are born into a family with brothers and sisters who care for you, who love and support you, and you love and support them. It's not, it's not something you just do when you plow ahead on your own. We do it together. We're a family who do it together. Is this messy? Yes. It's not all nice and neat and everything is fine all the time. Is it perfect? No. By no means, you know, we, like I've said before, you know, you don't need to read much into Acts to see that these people were not perfect. But by God's grace, by God's Holy Spirit, what would it look like if we carried out the one another's in the Bible? We loved one another. We served one another. We encouraged one another. Continually. Sharpening one another. What would it look like? It would be beautiful. And it would look nothing like the world has ever seen. 
would be so distinctive that people would be saying, what are these people? Who are these people? What drives them? And it's not our goodness. We know that it's something much better. So this brings me um, to, my, to our final point. Before, before that, let me, before I go to the final point, just, just before I say that, let me just say this. When I'm saying about us loving one another, it's not a case of we all have to know each, everyone intimately. If, it could just be one person that we have that relationship with. It could just be a, just a group of people we have that relationship with. It doesn't mean that we have to have know each other inside out to everyone. In fact, that's impossible to do. But do we have just that one person within church that we can actually rely on? And if we don't, let's pray for that. And let's look out for each other. Let's have a, let's have a mindset where we can look out for each other. And uh, thirdly and finally, uh, to my final point, the characteristics of the Holy Spirit transform community is that they are dedicated to mission. Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Dustin Willis, an author, wrote this. When we live, when we are living life in a community, we long for others to share in this experience. Come meet my big, crazy, messed up, beautiful extended family, we say. There you'll find the love, care, and burden-bearing relationships for which you crave. When the Holy Spirit impacts a community, it cannot help to overflow into other people's lives. The community is nothing like what they've seen before, like what I've just said. Even though we are a normal, messed-up bunch of people, we're not claiming to be anything else. There's something different about the community which people just can't get their heads around. Neighbors are looking, thinking, what is going on with them? How can they love each other like that? How can they put up with each other like that? We just had a life group at the uh, Moss's house. And it was, <laughs> we had about 28 in the, in, the, um, in the house. It was chaos. But the kids were running around. It was a beautiful chaos, but it was chaos. And then their neighbors are going, what are you doing? Why have you got all those people in the house? You just can't get their head around it. Why would you do that? It overflows out, you see. You see an act that, that, that as a, the people praised God, had real fellowship, they prayed with each other and submitted to God's word, that they started to enjoy the favor of people, and the Lord added to their number daily. People were drawn to this community. There was, a, there was persecution. We don't need to read far to see that there was persecution. But people were drawn to it. They won favor of people. People were added continually. That's the theme within Acts. The gospel spreads. The gospel spreads. Persecution is happening. The gospel spreads. People getting killed. The gospel still spreads. People saying the word of God isn't relevant. The gospel still spreads. It still spreads. And people are like, what is going on? This Christianity thing should have been wiped out ages ago. But people are still getting drawn to it. They, there's this community that they just can't get their heads around. Community and mission 
go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. The desire for other people to be part of this is an overflow of what God has done for us. This is the way God has designed it. That's why the reading doesn't just stop at verse 46. When they're saying, everyone met together with glad and sincere hearts, and then stopped. It carries on. They praised God and enjoyed the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. In John 17, Jesus says an interesting thing. He says this, The glory that you've given me, I've given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love me, and love them, even as you love me. Jesus links the love that we have for each other with his mission. Do we see that? As the world sees our, the Holy Spirit-empowered community... They see a love that they cannot understand. And Jesus says, the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. From our love with each other, people can see that and see there's a difference. And Jesus links them. It's evangelism driven by building relationships with people. Steve Timmis an author writes this, Our identity as human beings is found in community. Our identity as Christians is found in Christ and his new community. And mission takes place through communities of light. Christian community is a vital part of a Christian's mission. Mission takes place as people see our love for one another. People see that. People notice it. Gospel, communi- gospel communities alone do not bring about identity and worth but they point to the one who does. It's just signpost. Pointing to the one who does. Pointing to the one who does. People saying, why do you love each other? We're pointing to the one who does. So if that's the case, if this is true, and I'm convinced that, that it is, the questions I would like us to think about really practically, all right, and we're going to have them on the screen, and, I want, and maybe you can discuss it, with people or your life group or whoever, I want us to just think about this, these questions. We're not going to answer them now, but I want you to think about. If the, if the um, community, if people see the community, see how people love each other, and there's a potential that they can see that and be changed or be brought into that, and they can see that Jesus is the Son of God through that, then how can we as a church make this church community more accessible and more visible to people who don't know Jesus? How can this community be seen by people who have nothing to do with it? Can we think of creative ways of how our life groups and other ministries, because there's amazing ministries going on as well through the church, can be more visible? As well as focusing on the Bible studies and building one another up, what else can we focus on which helps us to reach out? What can we invite people to? What social activity can we put on? What gives an opportunity for us as a community to be out there and through God's grace allows people to see a distinct difference in us? Think about this. If you were going on a mission trip to an unreached people group and you were going and you had a group of people with you, what would you do? You you had a year to spend with them. Use your imagination. You had a year to spend with them. You were going out. What mindset would you have? 
you'd go into that community, you'd learn the language, you'd get to know the people, you'd invite them to different things, you would um, put on different events, you would continually try to create relationships so the gospel can be spread. And whilst that was going on, the bond that you would have with your fellow people who were also on the mission trip would, would, would be strengthened. You'd be your brothers and sisters. You, you're a team. You're a team of people. This is no different. We are a team. We are a team. We are together. We're all doing the same thing. We're reaching out into different areas. The communities that we're involved in are reaching out into different areas. But we're all together. And that's the that's the mindset that um, I'm trying to convey here. That was not just being in within, a, within our groups and being satisfied that this is what we've got, being thinking, how can we reach out? How can other people be part of what we are doing? Because that's what was going on in Acts. So in conclusion, do you see how the Holy Spirit is consistent with who Jesus is? Um, he was dedicated to the word. Jesus selflessly, well, he was selfless in every way. And he absolutely was dedicated to mission. The Holy Spirit's characteristics is exactly the same as who Jesus is. This next verse that we've got up really struck me when I was reading it, actually. In Matthew 9. 35 to 37. And in the context of what we've been speaking out, speaking of, says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, synagogues proclaiming, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Just sheep without a shepherd. That, these are our neighbours. These are our work colleagues. These are our friends. If you get to know them at a, on, a, on a level, sheep without a shepherd. And they may convey that they're not. But they're all calling out for something. They want to be part of something. They do want to, be, to belong to something. They want authentic relationships. They are a sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Are we willing to take that call? Are we willing to look outside of ourselves, look outside of here and think, how we can reach out, how the community of God can be exposed in, in different ways. Eleanor Rigby and all the lonely people, where do, do they all belong? They belong in a community which has been transformed by the Holy Spirit and where they can have true fellowship with the God of the universe and with their new, messed up, but beautiful extended family. This is our story.